0: Hey there, welcome to The Manuscript. I'm Juliana May, and in this podcast, we delve into the intersection of writing and the development of technology products. Every couple of weeks, we talk to people making a difference in technical writing, instructional design, UX writing, content strategy, and anywhere else there's someone thinking about content in digital products and the tech industry. If you want to keep up with our latest news and insights, pitch in on themes for us to talk about, and also get some behind-the-scenes, follow us on Twitter. The link is in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to The Manuscript wherever you get your podcasts, so you'll know whenever we publish a fresh new episode. And just before we begin our episode, I would like to give a super special shout-out to some of our listeners who have been reaching out to us. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your names right. I'm so sorry if I don't. (laughs) But... First off, hello Sneha from India and also Ioana from Romania and Alan and João from Brazil. Uh, It was great having the chance to talk to you and to learn from your perspectives as well and it's just surreal to see uh, that we've reached so many different countries with the show. We're really glad that you reached out to us. And today we're very excited because we'll be interviewing Claire Brooks And we'll be covering how to transform a project from physical to digital. So, Claire, welcome to the manuscript.
1: Thank you. That's a great introduction. Um, So, um, yeah, thanks for having me today.
0: Awesome. And just as a quick uh, disclaimer for our listeners, we are currently in the coronavirus, so we're all recording from our homes. And my neighbor just adopted a dog. And so if you hear some barks on the back, I'm really sorry. (laughs) It's just uh, our music for the day. So Claire, can you please introduce yourself and anything you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I'm obviously Claire, uh, Franco-British, and I grew up in Brazil in Rio. Um, I've also lived kind of my whole life between all three countries. So I guess you can say I'm anglo (laughs) brasileira (laughs) Um, And yeah, I guess um, to like introduce kind of what I do, um, I worked as a creative and producer in live and animation advertising for many years, um, going from Universal Studios to Nexus in London, and then I gradually made the move over to Interactive, and uh, while I made that move, I worked on a few major projects, developing AR and VR storytelling for companies such as Google, Facebook, um, and before taking the leap into the arts Um, and yeah I helped develop a few physical installations and uh, my role is mainly to uh, kind of ideate and come up with concepts um, but also bring kind of projects to fruition by leading them and uh, this goes from physical installations that then are um, translated as uh, you said earlier to uh, digital artworks as well and uh, now I'm working at Google Arts and Culture Lab where I continue to do much the same thing, but for digital platforms, mostly. And um, I experiment with uh, various technologies, such as AI and machine learning.
0: Perfect. Uh, For today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about your inspiring career, and then uh, we'll delve into the world of physical installations going digital. And then we'll talk a little bit about how communication plays a role in the digital sphere. And we'll finish things off by talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it has influenced uh, this, this shift from physical to digital anywhere in the world. So, all right. To begin, let's talk a little bit about your work. Uh, I'm sure you've collaborated with numerous different areas to give life to a single project. Can you share with us what are the professionals you usually collaborate with and how it impacts your daily work?
1: Um, Yeah, I actually do collaborate with many different people. Um, My job is is quite versatile. So um, as I work in the arts and tech experimentation, I basically mainly work with artists and creative coders, UI and UX developers and designers, programmers, and of course, culture institutions. So that's basically anyone in a culture institution. Um, And also sometimes data data artists and scientists and just scientists as well.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Any particularities of like what different professionals usually aggregate to the projects you're in?
1: I mean, I usually, yeah, I usually work with, um, obviously it's, we, you know, always mix kind of artists with technology and most of the artists I work with um, don't necessarily work with technology at all or have never worked with digital platforms. So it's kind of, you know, um, I guess bridging the gap between them and a technologist. So I'd bring in, you know, creative coder to work with them on something to bring that to, to bring that into, yeah, having kind of a digital creation of their artwork. Um, so that's mainly the people I work with, but also I work with engineers and programmers um, to make sure that the project is developed as well and, you know, I works on every platform too. Um, so I guess that's kind of the core of, you know, the type of people I work with. Um,
0: yeah, I guess that's my,
1: my, my
0: daily. <laughs> cool, that's so interesting. Uh as some of our listeners may know me and Breno are both technical writers so we're always interested to in asking our interviewees uh if they've ever collaborated with technical writers or UX writers in any of your projects Uh yeah
1: I, I have um I have quite a bit actually um but I think mostly I actually have been a technical writer myself <laughs> um I wow not, that's not cool. from yeah, I mean, not not that I do it that well, but I've had to kind of like kind of I guess uh, do it sometimes because so that because of the the the, the style of the artworks and the the, the kind of works that we do uh, or I do myself, um, it involves you know obviously artists and um, and the artists create something that is emotional, so something that needs to be poetic, etc. So I'll come up with you know some of the copy or maybe I'll suggest it. Um, And, you know, I I kind of have to ask myself, how do you make this intuitive? How do you move people? How do you get straight to the point? So it's like kind of mixing all these things that are between poetry, but also kind of, you know, product writing. So it's actually quite hard. Um, And... (laughs) Everything's kind of largely story based artwork. So, you know, for example, you're taking raw data and then you're turning it into something tangible that, you know, you want people to be moved by. So that means I need to create a mixture of storytelling with product writing. It's really not easy. Um, But I have also worked with technical writers too. And this always ends up being kind of a collaboration for the same reason. Um, But yeah, I I wish I could always work with a technical writer because that is definitely most of the time the best outcome. (laughs)
0: i'm glad to hear that and it's so interesting (laughs) because we don't usually uh relate technical writing with uh, emotions or poetry or art Uh, our job is to be really clear and precise right and there's always space for that uh, even when you're dealing with creative projects i imagine
1: exactly yeah so i mean it is interesting because i i you know, it's kind of something new, I guess, because you're bringing artworks online and but you need the artworks to also be intuitive and easy for people to understand. So it is kind of something different that I, you know, I haven't been trained to do at all. Um, and it's really great to work with people who have because, you know, obviously they have great insights um, into how people engage with with, you know, online experiences. And um, so, yeah, it's a nice way to collaborate. I, I mean, yeah, my work is all about collaboration with the best people. So, yeah.
0: It's really nice. I'm so honored to hear that. It's not (laughs) every day that you get this kind of feedback (laughs) to our profession. So I thank you, Claire, in the name of all tech writers who are listening to us, hopefully. (laughs) And uh, talking about tech writing, something that we tend to ask ourselves and our interviewees here at the manuscript is how technical a a tech writer should be. And now we ask you, how tech savvy should a producer be? How do you interact with the tech aspect of all those innovative and cultural projects that you've led?
1: Um so I guess as a creative curator and producer um, in my field I absolutely need to be tech savvy because um, so a like a huge part of my job is to come up with ideas that use technology in some way so I need to know what can be done or I guess I wouldn't come up with many ideas um, and then B is um I need to always know when what the latest innovation is especially when it comes to machine learning and interactive experiences is I guess when I'm briefing artists or studios, or creative coders, um, or when I receive proposals, I need to know that they will still be, you know, innovative when they launch. Um, And also, as I lead on all the aspects of a project, um, I need to understand what an engineer is telling me or what could eventually go wrong so that we avoid mistakes as early as possible. Um, And this is like all along the projects and projects always have issues. So, you know, you kind of always need to understand, but what I've, you know, what I've tried to do anyway is kind of, get, um, you know, learn a bit before, before I start a project is learn how this works, you know, so I learned a bit of coding, you know, before um started, you know, starting working interactive. Um, I don't code, but I just, you know, wanted to understand the kind of the ecosystem and to understand what I'm asking. Um, yeah, and then same thing with machine learning. I did a lot of research and reading up on it and asking lots of questions and obviously working with a few um with a few experts in machine learning uh, where i just ask lots of silly questions <laughs> and hopefully get good answers um but yeah it's uh it's a learning curve all the time but i do definitely need to be tech savvy, yeah.
0: i can totally relate i guess that most uh, a big part of a tech writer's job is to be able to navigate through technology and complexity but we're not the ones who are actually dealing with it at the end of the day to make the projects happen So me, myself, I I don't code, but I need to be able to understand certain languages in order to uh, create a really clear documentation about it. And uh, what advice would you give to uh, people who are just starting out in in this field and who are feeling a little bit uh, overwhelmed by the amount of technology? Uh, Where do you think they should start researching, for example?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, I always think go with what you'd like, <laughs> go with something you're really interested in. Um, I wouldn't say there's like a particular way or a particular technology that is kind of the most, you know, um one that you have to kind of absolutely go for or that, you you know, obviously it is overwhelming because there is a lot out there. And I guess it's a, a way of picking this just by what you're interested in. And, and I guess that's how I started was just by being interested in something and, and, and going with it. And then obviously you learn as you go along. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't think anyone would become an expert in just researching every topic or everything that uh, that is around. And I think it is overwhelming. And um, so, yeah, just pick pick your favorite one <laughs> and go with it.
0: <laughs> That's great advice. Uh, it's actually, uh, we interviewed a designer called Danielle Fosco in our episode number nine, if I'm not mistaken. And he he advised something similar because you don't have to be uh you don't have to dive deep into everything related to technology. Just pick something you're interested in and start from there. I guess it's it's some good advice.
1: Yeah. 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 And I guess also when you're starting a project or, you know, you're interested in a project, if you don't know that particular type of technology or there's something that is missing from, you know, your knowledge, then I guess you just go deep into it and, you know, you kind of learn it as you go along. That's kind of how I've done it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, perfect. Uh, And my my final question about uh, the philosophy of your work, I I can see that there are three pillars to what you you do as a producer. Uh, There's the tech aspect, the cultural or artsy aspect, and then there's uh, a management side of it, of dealing with deadlines and and projects and everything. Uh, What would be your favorite pillar of the three aspects? What do you like most? (laughs)
1: that's a really good question um I definitely prefer the cultural aspect most um just because I've always I've always um been immersed in culture and art uh, my dad being an artist and my mum too and I just um yeah I think that's kind of the aspect that I most lean into um that I come with most I guess most knowledge in as well um but obviously technology is so exciting and you know innovation is so exciting and there's something that you know you're learning something new every day um so I think that's why it's very difficult to to answer however the management side of it definitely not my favorite <laughs> <laughs> by far very stressful <laughs> <read>. yeah very <laughs> stressful and and it's definitely not something i enjoy so much but you know it has to be done and it's you know if you want to make something happen then you have to execute it and you know that there's that there are there are things that you need to do when you're passionate about something there are always aspects of that passion that won't be as interesting or that you won't like as much and it's fine as long as everything else you know is uh i guess more um um I guess, is not more important, but like, you know, it, it, it takes more of your time to like work on the culture aspect or the technical aspect, then that's, that's fine. You know, I don't, I don't mind it so much, but yeah.
0: Cool. Uh, I actually went to business school, not out of passion. Like it's, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but it allowed me to navigate through those other universes that really uh, get my attention, like technology and, and arts and culture as well. So yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah. Like- all right going to our next block where we'll talk about the physical and digital aspects of the projects you've been working on Uh, we would love to know more about the general process that involves taking a project from physical space to digital can you share what are the biggest challenges in that shift can any project be turned uh digital um I guess i mean so much can be turned into
1: digital like you can you know take 3d scans of sculptures or even archaeological sites um so yeah lots of physical things can be created um digitally. um you can also take a concept of a physical piece and translate it so it becomes like it will become an alternative concept of course um because it has different and adaptive parameters to make it viable as a digital interactive artwork or product um but i don't think everything can be made into digital um, I think there's a certain magic that happens when you're physically in a space um, that has been thought of as, like, an experience. And especially when it's experienced, for like, the senses. I think that to be, you know, immersed is something that kind of usually happens in a physical space. So touching and feeling, um, take the like scale of peace, for example, you know. Um, being somewhere has that kind of tangible element to it, you know. Um, I think also when you have people around you like their reactions or you know the sounds and um there's a sense of like collectivity that we're all experiencing something together at the same time um i think i think you know i'm thinking about this obviously more at this at the moment because you know museums etc have been closed for so long galleries been closed for so long so i think this kind of has been more kind of brought to the fore recently um but of course you can also have digital art in the physical space um so that could always, always, you know, have to both, both be at the same time. Um, but the challenges lie in, you know, um, I guess trying to remove the gimmick. Like, you know, how do you bring physical into online um, or digital? Is, you know, how do you also not use technology for technology's sake? Um, I guess, you know, that I think is, is one of the biggest challenges is does something physical, should it become digital? That wow, that's
0: so cool! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, it brought me to mind uh, this this exhibition that I went once about life on Mars, and they were yeah. trying to recreate like the ultimate Martian experience for us, but here on Earth. <laughs> and they even made like they they teamed up uh, with this perfume company to create what would the the smell of Mars. Would feel like for us, and wow. I guess that's sort of the sensory experience that we usually try to imitate when we go to digital. But it's not like it's not quite the experience, and I guess uh, we should always try to uh, explore what what is best between the physical aspects of of an art installation and the and how it could be well translated into digital.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think that also reminds me of another installation I went to recently. Um, And you know, I was lying. You you lie down on a bed, and um, this you know narrator starts talking to you, and the sounds become louder and louder, and you're kind of like surrounded by this kind of three hundred and sixty sound, and you're on your own in this kind of dark room. And then the the bed starts you know kind of moving and shaking, and it's kind of it's called the Dream Machine or something, Um, and it really really kind of makes you zone out like the whole experience just made me just go into a dream state. It was very strange. It's something that I don't know that could happen, you know, on my bed (laughs) (laughs) with my earphones in my, you know, and on my laptop. (laughs) So yeah, there are limitations.
0: (laughs) All right. And talking about like the philosophical aspects of, of physical and digital There are differences, I mean, between the permanence of content if a certain project is digital or physical. Because when we go digital, we have the opportunity to make art and culture last pretty much forever versus projects that would otherwise be unavailable once an art exhibition at a gallery closes, for example. Uh, Do you see this as a benefit or is it the ephemeral aspect of a project that makes it really valuable?
1: Uh. I think that both are important, and I don't think one should substitute the other um I see like digital online art as a an additional way of experiencing art and i i I'd think that the you know ephemeral um aspect to it i think is a is is a beautiful one I don't think that um i mean i I personally don't see digital art as because it's something that you know lasts forever or or, or anything because actually um in 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 fact, it can not last forever because it depends on a server. It depends on someone, man. You know, someone behind there, basically managing it. Yeah. If there's a glitch, or you know, there's it does. You know, there are risks involved, obviously, in, in any technology, in any technology, and something being online. Um, also, someone could hack it. You know, so there's. I mean, anything, anything could happen. So I don't know. I think I think it's a good question, but I think you know, definitely, um, there's something really magical in something being there for only a short time um it's a moment that you will never forget you know there's something there's something beautiful in, in going to an art gallery and seeing something for like that's only there for like a week um but then you know if there is the issue of access but obviously that's you know we can we can talk about that um um for a long time but there's you know that how do you access also you know galleries etc for that amount of time and um, you know, you always have cues to go and see things. So I think that bringing things online does make it, A, last forever. I mean, in kind of, you know, not forever, but for a long time. Um, but also it makes it more accessible.
0: Cool. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. There are benefits into both experiences. And uh, we'll we'll get into the accessibility aspect of, of such projects <laughs> in a bit. Uh, but going back to something that we've already mentioned about the uh, experience of of living an exhibition in the physical space—it's uh, it's usually different how we interact uh, with digital uh, projects, right? How do you think the two experiences differ? How can going digital enhance an otherwise physical experience, or vice versa?
1: Well, I think there's like with a digital experience. I mean, I, I I say digital; it's more kind of like an online experience because. Um, when I perceive something as being you know an online artwork, it's either you're bringing something that previously existed, so you know you're you're just kind of digitising something that exists. so you know so take a Vermeer painting or something and you're digitising that and you're bringing that online and that's that's very different to obviously experiencing it in a in in the galleries in the gallery scene um because it will be there with all the other paintings and you know it will be lit in a certain way and you know you'll be with other people you'll be able to comment on that painting or whatever um and then there's the other side other type of artworks which is actually um creating for the digital platforms and um this you know i mean it's it's not widely accepted yet as art you know not everyone sees it as, as art um but I think that, you know, there's uh, definitely an audience for it. And um, I think that, I think, you know, what I was saying earlier on is that to be immersed in something, I mean, obviously it's great to be immersed in something physical, um, Mm. but I think that you can also be immersed in something that's online. And there's something that is also beautiful in having something, you know, experiencing something on your own, in your own time, um, and really kind of getting to grips with what the artist is telling you. you know, I recently um, worked on some climate art experiments and um, these, you know, they take a lot, some of them take a lot to kind of understand. You know, I think in a gallery setting or in a museum setting, it would have been probably difficult for people to, or audiences to kind of engage with from, for very long because of people around them, etc. So, you know, I said something about the collective experience, which for some artworks works really well. But for, mm-hmm. for others, I think there's something really great in, being you know this kind of like the individuality as well you know like the being on your own in front of something you know you can be fully immersed in it and really take your time with it so yeah that's my um there's my two cents on that
0: <laughs> yeah cool i guess that we've all seen pictures of the mona lisa through our computers but living and going there to the louvre to see it live is a different experience but i've also seen uh, the other way around, working really well, like uh, some virtual tours of, of, of exhibitions that really dive deep into painting x-rays and the history behind a specific painter that enhances that experience you wouldn't have had any contact with in the physical space of a museum. Uh, so I guess... Uh, like I think the, the like the bottom line <laughs> is there are benefits into in, in both experiences, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think I would say that. I think, you know, as I said earlier on, I don't think one substitutes the other. We should always have both. And I think this is an addition. to to, to the physical art scene, there's, there's, you know, it doesn't enhance it, I don't think, you know, obviously it enhances certain types of aspects of art, um, or artworks. And, you know, as we said, it makes it more accessible. And like you said, you know, you can delve deeper into some subjects, you know, learn more. And that's an amazing aspect to having, you know, to to being able to explore art in that way. Um, But yeah, I think both of them have um, great advantages.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, a bit earlier about the accessibility of, of going online. I think that you amplify the voice of certain artists and content creators that would otherwise be known by a limited audience if they ever reached uh, a gallery or n- people wouldn't even know about them if it wasn't for the online uh, opportunity that was given to them with the advance of the Internet, et cetera, et cetera. And you also have viewers from all over the world perceiving the same project. So you have uh, the accessibility aspect in both ways for the creator, for the artist, and also for the public who can now reach art online that they wouldn't otherwise have. Do you think that the digital projects have improved the accessibility of art to the general public? Do you agree with this? Are there still any barriers around the distribution or access to this type of content?
1: Yeah, I mean I definitely agree that, you know, I mean, it has definitely democratized art. Um, you know, there is art for everyone now, I think, um, or for most people anyway, and because, you know, obviously more audiences can engage there is more demand for it. And there's demand for different types of art too. We're not now being, you know, told what to like, I guess, you know, by, by just by galleries or museums as so this is uh, the democrat you know, democratic democratization, I can't even say the word, uh, (laughs) democratizing art um, has meant that, you know, I guess, yes, more people can access it, more people can can engage with it, more people can understand it. um, Also, more people can choose what they want to see, when they want to see it. Um, People that don't necessarily have museums or galleries next to where they live, you know, um, they can access the Anywhere they want to, and I think that's an incredible advantage to um, to to bringing art online, Um, especially in this time. I think I mentioned this earlier that you know we're we're all living lives online, and um, so I guess it's been an accelerator in seeing the arts being brought to online audiences. Um, But I do think there are, I mean, I don't even think there are limitations, of course, um, such as not having access to a computer or even an you know internet connection. That's still the that's still the reality of many people. Um, so yeah, there is a limitation, of course.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that social media play a huge role in, in all of this because even though people don't have uh, access to a computer where they would, uh, I don't know, go into a museum's website or something, they might have a smartphone and they have, they're in social media and they can get to see... Uh, artists from all over the world write through the palms of their their hands which is a really interesting time to live in right
1: yeah absolutely i agree and i think definitely social media has a massive part to play in this and you know take some i mean for example coders who have become artists you know that would not have happened previously probably you know it's um people who are or scientists you know um people who are obsessed with data Um, who have become artists thanks to, you know, digital and online platforms. And, you know, there's um, an artist um, who creates GANs so um, generative adversarial networks and uh, creates kind of these um, incredible portraits of people, but people that don't exist and he's become like a famous artist overnight, you know, thanks to social media. (laughs) And so I think there's, yeah, that's a really good point,
0: for sure. Which brings us to a different discussion of now, who decides what is art and what is not is not uh, a curator or an art critic, but the general public. It's who gets more likes, who gets more views, and it's really uh, making art democratic at its essence because people who who are interacting with these new artists are actually the ones who validate them as as being pop art and cultural movements that are beginning through social media as well. Yep,
1: absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the roles are changing.
1: <laughs> yep, definitely. I think it's, it's, it is democratising. Oh my God, I still can't say the word. <laughs> democratising. <laughs> it is democratising art. And it is kind of, you know, you have art not just at your fingertips, but you can choose, you know, I guess, who is an artist and a lot more a lot more people can be artists today, I guess, um, you know, art is such a, a vague concept anyway, you know, um, yeah. who should say what is art, I guess, you know, um, anything you find you find interesting or beautiful can be art. But yeah, that's a good point.
0: Cool. Okay, so we're now going to the third block of this episode. And as you know, this, this podcast is not a, just about tech. It's also about writing and the communication aspect of technology. So we'll talk a little bit about how uh, communication works in this digital online uh, cultural projects. So Claire, do you think written content is still relevant in a world where new media are constantly evolving and most of what's accessed digitally is in video, AR or VR formats? Absolutely. I think
1: I think more than ever, um, we need to keep writing. I think it's the best way to keep our imaginations also kind of wild and not being fed everything, you know, um, spoon-fed everything. Um, I think that, you know, um, video content, et cetera, is obviously incredible, an incredible way of being informed. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's great to be, uh, you know, writing is a great way to be informed and to learn something in your own time, I guess, and not be, you know... Um, I guess it's a, it's a very different form of engaging with people as well. You know, um, I, I think it's, I think it's yeah, super important that we keep it. <laughs> it's still very, very relevant.
0: You exercise different parts of the brain, right? When you write or when you interact with video. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge promoter of writing.
1: <laughs> yep, I am too. Of reading of writing, you know, um, I mostly actually read my news or, you know, mostly read and books rather than watch you know I love watching series but you know I will read more than I watch things so I mean I'm a guess I'm I guess I'm a great advocate of writing and, and reading um and as you said you are exercising something different on your brain and especially when you're writing something too you know you're kind of I don't know there's like just you know it's such a important part of our lives is to get everything out in writing sometimes you know
0: yeah, I, I really appreciate when project can balance uh, those different formats. There's a written part or a video part and virtual reality part. <laughs> I feel that yeah. we should promote more projects that really integrate different formats and in a single experience. It definitely adds some richness to it
1: definitely and i think it allows people to engage in a different way you know take storytelling for example on top of a um on top of a digital artwork you know um there's been instances when artists have asked whether a vo or written content would be better and i would always say a written written content because i think that um people i think audiences understand perhaps better when it's written um, yeah. i know i do <laughs> you know i'll read something and i'll really take it in it's not just that I understand it better; it's just that I take it in more, I guess, because I'm able to reread it and, you know, really kind of like imprint it in my mind uh, more than a VO.
0: Yeah, totally. And as a technical writer, uh, we're always confronted with this uh, dilemma. Should we be doing documentation through written articles or should we go to video format? And we keep going back to writing and deciding to keep it as our primary source of documentation uh, because the user can skim through it and go to exactly the part where they, they find the information they need, like the findability of a written document is more user friendly than watching a whole video and then deciding what's what was the useful part to you, right? So I guess there are some aspects like that in, in writing that are still really important, especially when we deal with tech writing, which is my, my current universe. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I agree. But we surely live in complex times. Uh, Do you think that art can help us communicate those complex ideas?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, take like data, for instance, or, you know, I mean, I mentioned this before, but like climate data or economic data, um, you know, how do you translate that in a, you know, in a tangible form? I think that, um, you know, we can find some topics quite complex to understand. and, And I think that art does tap into the culture imaginary and um and it allows individuals to you know access these complex issues in a way more tangible and emotional way um you know i see art as a vehicle for emotion it's 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 something that brings topics that you know are so far away from you they bring them home you know they 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 kind of tell you something in a very different way they 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 You know, I think it's so important to use art for social causes, for example, you know, Um, we have done for centuries, you know, it's it's not new. And I think that obviously with, you know, in digital art, we're bringing this to more people even, and we're able to mix science and data and all of these things that, you know, are very difficult for us to understand sometimes. Um, And so, yeah, it's bringing those, um, you know, complex topics to the layperson, I guess. (laughs) and hopefully engaging them with those topics.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Wow. Uh, I think that art has a way of really getting a point across the table and making you really uh, think hard about things that you wouldn't otherwise have thought about if it wasn't for the emotional connection that art uh, allows you to have with complex themes like climate change, like you mentioned. Uh, it's 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 really interesting. And I was curious about your thoughts on the communication of digital media. And do you think it's any different than how you would communicate an idea in a physical installation, for instance?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yes, obviously, communication is very different. Um, I think, you know, you don't have the speciality that, you know, you would in a physical location and you have to imagine how people would move i guess you know you know you have the flow i guess the audience flow which is you know um translated as user flow online you know it's um i think it's yeah a very very different way of, of imagining the communication and and also like how do you keep audiences online engaged you know for long enough for them to even want to see the next part of whatever you're showing them you know um, i think there's something that happens in the physical space is that someone's gone there and that's where they, that's where they are, right? They're, they're there, they've, they've made the effort to go somewhere and they've learned about it, whatever. And, and you know, there's, there's kind of nothing else that's, I guess, distracting them. If you're online, then you have so many other distractions and, you know, you can just start browsing something else on your, on your phone, you know, while you're on your laptop looking at something. So yeah, it's a really different way of communicating. And yeah, I don't know if that's the, you know, your question was, was exactly, exactly that, but that's, I mean, I always have to think about those ways of, you know, how do we how do we keep people engaged?
0: Yeah uh, totally I think the commitment of someone online is really less <laughs> uh, invested <laughs> than when you actually plan on going to a museum and experiencing that for a whole afternoon where you can uh, yeah always get dis- distracted with your phone but the commitment of going there and interacting with this piece of art is is definitely, uh, bigger than just opening a tab in your computer and then going to other tabs that uh, were opened previously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I heard somewhere that that's what's making podcasts really big right now because you don't compete with, with different stimuli when you're listening to a podcast uh, because your ears are fully immersed into a single uh, stimulus uh, whether you're online and going through uh, a website, visually you're distracted all the time. Or if you're watching TV, there's lots of commercials, and you can change the channel. Or there are lots of inputs visually where that you don't have when you're listening to a podcast. Just as a quick digression. <laughs> yeah, that's very true.
1: Actually, I mean, I, I um, you know, I I actually listen to podcasts when I'm running, for example, because it's a really nice way of just staying focused and um, I can really focus on the podcast if I'm doing something else if I'm working for example or you know doing something else online or whatever I can't listen to the podcast at the same time <laughs> it's just not possible <laughs> so yeah that's definitely true
0: <laughs> yeah you mentioned uh previously that you were dealing with projects that were really rich in in data uh that used art to really bring that data to life uh what are the challenges of making people connect to this kind of project for instance that it's like heavy information that they're not uh usually in contact with the challenge
1: is is making it i guess you know tangible it's making it understandable so people can really engage with it um and that's i guess the first thing that comes into play is the storytelling aspect. So is how do you tell a story around that issue or around that, you know, scientific data. It's all raw data. So it's like, you know, what I mean, how do you translate that? And and that comes, you know, with a brainstorm with artists or, you know, it's it's different for every type of project, um, different with what the you know, which type of artists that you're working with as well. And um the challenge lies in the way of communicating. You know, I think we touched on that just now and it's like how do you how do you communicate how do you communicate in the most intuitive but also straightforward and but poetic way? You know, it's um how do you connect with audiences emotionally on something that is so far from home? So, you know, you take something that is happening in the oceans, in the Pacific Ocean, it has nothing to do with you. Um, but how do you how do you translate those facts into something that actually could happen to you? And that's how I look at things is like, why like how do i care about something i guess i put myself in the in the shoe of the you know of any audience and i'm like how how would i care you know about something and i obviously do care about these things because you know that's my you know those are my passions but i um i yeah i try and kind of understand how an audience you know an audience member would think oh Oh, this is you know way too far from me this is this is not you know this this won't happen to me. this won't happen to anyone I know. um you look at it on the news and you feel very detached from it. you know how do you make mm-hmm. someone less detached what's happening miles away? Well, I guess you kind of show what the cascade effect would be you know to that person you know how do you make something uh, yeah it's it's a very challenging aspect of a of an artwork that engages you know that that uses climate data for example because that's the I think the biggest challenge really um and then it's how do you you know keep people engaged um and not turn something off because you know it's bad news um there's that too you know so it's it's keeping kind of a hopeful tone as well as as engaging with something that's you know emotional but also has a scientific aspect where it is is challenging
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Uh, I guess that the key here is empathy, is how you empathize with the user to understand uh, what's going on through their mind and their context and making them empathize with a different context, right? Yep.
1: Double empathy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, our last block, where we'll discuss COVID-19 and how it has impacted uh, the work of pretty much everyone on earth, not just the work, but the daily lives of people. Uh, So Claire, the pandemic has definitely impacted the work of many professionals from all sorts of areas. Quarantine has made us lean on digital more than ever for work and learning, entertainment and social uh, relations. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you think this shift really altered our behavior, how going digital in, in this degree really impacts our lives?
1: I mean, in many ways, obviously, I think that, you know, we've become way more um, um, used to doing everything online, I think. that so obviously, you know, there's the whole aspect of work, you know remote working, I think, um, because we are living as a as a society globally online and it's not something that we've chosen to do you know we've been forced into this situation um but we've reacted so quickly to it and we've you know thankfully we've been online for you know years now that we understand the whole you know um the ecosystem i guess and you know how we do um communicate with each other um in this in this way and how do we also keep aspects of our lives continuing as we are online, you know? How do we, yeah, keep social, as you say, you know? Like, how do we, um, what are these shifts in our behaviour? And I think there hasn't been that many shifts in terms of entertainment, for example, you know? I mean, there's always, you know, Netflix. <laughs> um, yeah. there's, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, this is not something that's changed. It's, uh, I think that actually what has changed is our um, need for physical things, you know, our need for real um situations you know going to the cinema for example or you know instead of watching a series online and and I think that's that's the main shift for me anyway and you know for people I know around me um even though I work in online and digital and I'll always you know I'll always um love that um that that area but I, I really um miss real things you know and I think that's um that is the shift in our behavior I think that um we've I think that we've adapted very very quickly and easily to this kind of you know remote online um online life but i think that we are learning that actually we miss those aspects of our lives we didn't even think that we would you know we didn't think that these were so important to our lives and they really are
0: yeah (laughs) oh my god yes (laughs) (laughs) i i love how we've we've really leaned on artists and in this time of of distress when we, we were kept from entertainment in the way that we usually did. But I don't know about you, but I've been a little bit tired of screens lately. And I've been exploring like different hobbies and activities that are off the digital space, like uh, arts and crafts. And just because I want to experiment something that is not uh, through a screen. And I guess that one of the biggest differences once we leave this, this pandemic is that we're definitely, or at least I'm going to definitely pay more attention to the little things that we missed and just uh, be more impacted by, by real life physical experiences, right?
1: Absolutely, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I think that, yeah, I mean, also, I think it's a great time for artists you know, it's a great time for artists to kind of reflect on what's happening. I mean, I think after the pandemic, we're going to have a flurry of activity, a flurry of things that are going to come up, you know, that people have t- had time to kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess, think about what's happening and, and then react to those things. Because I think the first reactions were very kind of knee-jerk reactions, you know, we must do this now, we must do, you know, we must make this, we must create this online because people otherwise can't see our art, et cetera. And I think that actually, some of the most interesting art will come afterwards. Um, after people have had time to discuss or you know brainstorm about things or you know even reflect on their experiences together you know collectively because this is the first time obviously we've ever had something this global um before or even global i mean um before so um it's a you know it's an unseen unheard of unexperienced experience you know situation and um i think it's going to be an extremely interesting time afterwards and i I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, you know, in, in the physical and the digital space. Because um, I think, you know, this is, we are not going to lose that life, you know, the digital life, it's there for good. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's there are other ways we're going to experience digital, being, being online, I mean, and, um, and other ways we'll experience being physically in spaces. Um, and as you say, like, there's kind of this, overwhelming feeling of oh my god i'm seeing too many screens and you know i get this pop-up for my iphone that keeps saying oh you, you know you've been on your phone for like five hours this week or whatever you know 28 the of iphone me. shaming yes the <laughs> iphone shaming my screen time and i feel really <laughs> guilty and then i'm like oh god i must spend more time outside stop looking uh <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I, you know, never really thought of before. And I think now I'm really, really thinking about it because I just miss the, I mean, I'm outdoors, you know, all the time right now, you know, um, in Europe, we're kind of not in lockdown anymore, really. And so that's that's fine, but it's still it's not the same, you know, you're still worried. So, yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. a very long answer to your question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel that we needed to vent this this subject that we're all going through, and just to leave a reference for our listeners, I I just stumbled upon like, uh, in, I think last month, with this Instagram account called COVID Art Museum, and it's the world's first art museum. Of art born during the coronavirus crisis, and then you can see all these different artists that post their their art uh, through Instagram, and we can see how how they've really understood uh, how the pandemic has affected them and translated it in, into art. So I guess that even now, like during during this this tornado of emotions that we're feeling, people are expressing it through art, which is really cool.
1: Saying, I think there's, I think absolutely, there's been. An incredible amount of activity um during this whole time I mean artists have come up with with I mean unbelievable ideas and and, and ways of reacting to it and I think it's a it's it's one of the best ways of, of of you know going through crisis like this you know going through these very difficult and complex situations is thankfully artists are there to you know, guide us through this and, you know, kind of tell us we're not alone, you know, like, or see it in a different light, you know, give, giving different perspectives.
0: Yeah, cool. I uh, totally agree. Thank God we have artists to save us during these times. <laughs> and <laughs> last question about the coronavirus and the pandemic. Did you notice any differences in your work since the pandemic? Has the demand for digital projects risen in any way or access to digital platforms?
1: Definitely. Yeah. There's been, um, I mean, it's been so busy, you know, lots and lots of artists um, who are wondering how, you know, installations that they would have had, for example, um, you know, installed in museums over the summer or even festivals, you know, et cetera. How do you bring this online? And um, obviously that's, you know, a big part of my, of my, my work is, you know, how do I, how can you translate these things online? So yeah, it's been very, very, very busy. Um, but also busy in, you know, kind of how do you react to this whole thing as well um, in the best way, you know, make things that are relevant to the situation. So, yeah, it's been it's been. Um, yeah, it's really increased in a lot of ways. I've been very, very busy for sure.
0: That's really exciting to hear. <laughs> All right. So unfortunately, I have to announce that we're going to the end of our episode. And this is the moment in the manuscript where we ask our interviewees their thoughts on the future of their respective areas. So, Claire, what trends do you see for the future of creative digital products and artwork?
1: I guess, you know, because my art, my work is in the arts, I can mostly respond to to, to to that field. I guess it's where I've made the most observations and I've uh, been able to reflect on it bit. But the, you know, artists are rule breakers and trendsetters and um, they'll always push boundaries. And, you know, uh, I guess they'll always be trying to explore ways or discovering ways to use technology as a, you know, a, a kind of a form of engaging and a form of leverage. Um, so, you know, take... Um, big data for social causes for example or you know I think I think as I I think I mentioned this earlier um art like digital art um and artworks are you know less I guess accepted than physical artworks um still um and I think the future of it is that it will be more and more an accepted form of art um, and that hopefully more people around the world will, will have access to it and uh will always be you know, artists will always be pushing to use whatever technology is around. And I think they're the first to use technology in that way. You know, I think that's where, that's where the interest of the arts in, te- in technology and digital platforms really lies is that they're not scared of trying new things, you know, and experimenting. And I think um, this also pushes technology in another way because, you know, I've worked on projects, for example, that we, the technology hadn't really been developed that far enough for us to use it and so you know we worked with a creative coder and a machine learning expert to be able to push that in that way so you know I think it's a I think that's what the future is is collaboration it, it's kind of you know creating something where your um you know digital artwork digital art is not just bringing arts on, onto you know online platforms it's actually pushing those technological boundaries and you know innovating
0: Wow, such an inspiring uh, journey ahead of us then. (laughs) That's really cool to hear. (laughs) We have another block on our podcast, which is book recommendations. So what book is currently on your nightstand? What are you reading right now?
1: I'm reading a really great book called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. And uh, Rutger Bregman is a um, Dutch historian and author. And he wrote a book called Utopia for Realists a couple of years ago, which I was passionately reading when it came out. And he's written this new book called Humankind. And Humankind um, basically gives you a, perspe- a new perspective over our you know, human history. And um, you know, that it basically sets out to prove that we're actually hardwired for kindness and not for selfishness. Um, that we're more geared towards cooperation. Rather than competition, and mm-hmm. also more inclined to trust rather than distrust one another. So for me, it just makes total sense to read this at the moment, especially in, you know in this situation in our times um, when we really need something that's positive. And yeah, he goes about kind of you know disproving a lot of studies that have been made about how humans. Um, would react selfishly in a lot of situations, you know, and how um, humans would be evil. You know, we have this kind of evil streak in us that we can't, you know, we're kind of naturally evil. Um, But actually that's not true. And uh, I'm loving every second of this book. So I really recommend it.
0: Oh my God. That's such a a lively uh, uh, advice. (laughs) I'll definitely add (laughs) it to my reading list. And now uh, just to to finish things off with a work-related book, uh, what book or article would you recommend to our listeners so they can learn more about what you do? Or was there any book that really uh, uh, was really fundamental in in to what you're doing now?
1: That's such a good question. And you know what? I actually don't have a book that I I have ever read about what I'm doing. To be honest with people, I mean it's like I've read so many different types of books around, you know, machine learning or around um, I guess, you know, art history books um, or um, books around, you know, art concepts and, um, yeah, exhibition books. I mean, there's so many things that, um, that really kind of um, maybe, yeah, that, that inspired me um, and, and, you know, obviously to learn things about, about technology as well. Um, so yeah, I don't actually have a book. I'm sorry. a <laughs> book really to recommend for, for this type of thing. It's just so many, um, so many that I've, I've read in the past.
0: Don't worry, we'll have the humankind book to dig in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: cool.
0: Yeah. So thank you so much, Claire, for for being our guest here at the manuscript. Uh, I had the most delightful conversation. Really insightful as well, and it made me really. Uh, realize how interesting this intersection between art and tech and writing can be and there's a whole universe out there uh, waiting for more people to join right
1: oh brilliant I've really enjoyed it thank you so much for, for inviting me and I've really enjoyed talking to you and I've loved the questions and yeah it's been really really great to talk about um, about these topics and um, also with someone who
0: is seemingly passionate about it too <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really passionate about it I wasn't faking it I swear <laughs>
1: <laughs> I trust you I know I believe you <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for tuning in at The Manuscript If you like our show don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and also, why not share it with a friend? You never know what friend or family or coworker is also interested about tech and writing and all the cool subjects that we discuss here at The Manuscript. So let us know what you think and also share it with your networks. Thank you so much. See you in two weeks.